0: All right, so now we can start recording. Good, all right. So, (laughs) you know, every career, every person that's in some sort of career, it's funny, they think they've got it the worst, right? Teachers, we've got it the worst, we've got to work with kids, and and you know, unbelievable how kids are nowadays, and well, you know. And you got the people in the healthcare profession. Oh, we got a terrible and, and these patients are terrible. We've got long hours. And then we got truckers, right? I hate the people driving those little cars and motorcycles cutting in and out. I have a friend who's a trucker, that's all I always hear about. It's kind of like, you know, just chill out a little bit about us driving and cutting you off. <laughs> you got people in the trades, you know, tradespeople, oh can't uh, they don't understand the architects and the architects don't understand us. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm here to tell you that nobody has it as hard as I have it. <laughs> okay, so let me, just, let me just tell you, I'm the guy having to go through Ezekiel. And so today, we're going to go through two more strange stories about what happened with Ezekiel. I'm going to have to tell you and try to draw out a spiritual truth and application from Ezekiel digging a hole through the wall of his house and the fact that his wife died. Yeah, you guys think you have it bad. I got it bad. So there's two more strange stories that uh, that Ezekiel is giving to the exiles, the people that are in Babylon who have been taken to there from Israel and he's going he, he's gonna explain once again what's going on. And so just a real quick um, real quick review. So the the why and how, how you know why is he doing this and, and how do we get here? So the why, where are we at? Okay, so that's where they, they were over here in Judah and they were in Babylon. Go to the next one. Whew, there we go. Nice. Um Hagan was laughing so hard at my jokes back there that he's you know you know Anyways, he loves my jokes. Anyways, so the why. So the why for this happening is because Israel has, for hundreds of years, rejected God. And they've turned from him. They're they're doing life their way. I was putting it last week. So God said to them, 1446 B.C., God said, hey, listen, I will provide and protect for you. Protect you, I will, I will be your God. I will also discipline you if you misrepresent me. So do life my way, represent me well to the nations, show them what kind of God I am, and I'm going to make sure you have everything you need to do that. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But I'm going to discipline you if you misrepresent me. right? And so they agreed to that. They're like, yeah, yeah, we want you our God. You know, You're awesome, thank you for freeing us. Then they begin to allow the world around them to influence them. Just, I mean, same things as what we have around us today as, as believers. And then they got to this point where they just basically rejected God, which then brought about the discipline that he had said back in 1446 B.C. that was going to happen. And sometimes that discipline would be other nations if it got bad enough. It's funny because if you read through all that with the Exodus, God predicted that this was going to happen. God knows us right He knows people, he knows that we have a hard time obeying him and, and following him, so then how was he going to discipline? so in this case, this he 's going to use Babylon to discipline Israel, or in this case Judah, the southern the southern kingdom, because they had divided and you listened to the message last week for that. Now, this has already happened twice. Babylon went into to Judah, they took people from there after defeating him, laying siege, and they took some of them back to Babylon. Daniel the first time, Ezekiel the second time, and now there's going to be this third time. Because the first two times, it didn't get the Jews' attention. They they continued to reject God. They continue to worship other gods. And so God's going to, one more time, He's going to go in there. He's going to uh, have Babylon lay siege, which we talked about last week. And He's going to then take people, one more time, to Babylon, others are going to die, and then others are going to be brought to other parts of the world, but he's hoping that this will get their attention, because what he's doing is he's got this ultimate plan, and the ultimate plan is that through through Israel, the Savior of the world would come, and so he wants Israel to be committed to him, and so this is his final step, we're going to learn next week about his promise to restore, so just uh, just a side note. Ezekiel prophesied in Babylon for 22 years. Seven of those, which take up the majority of Ezekiel, seven years he prophesied judgment. Fifteen years, which is the, the least number of uh, chapters, he was prophesying restoration of Israel. And so when we think, well, God's so mean, God's so mean. No, no, God's doing what he needs to do. He's disciplining these people, but he's got an ultimate plan. He's going to restore Israel. Because it's through Israel that the Savior is going to come. So last week, Ezekiel acted out the coming siege. All right? Today, he's going to act out what happens because of the siege. All right? It's going to happen quickly. Now, 2 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching and for convicting and for correcting and training in righteousness. Right? Thank you. So we have to appreciate that. So we have to understand that there is that here in this chapter, several chapters that we're going to look at today. So we're going to look into this and see what God has for us. So Ezekiel eight to eleven. We're going to read out of twelve. We're going to read out of twenty four. But just to give you a little summary, Ezekiel eight through eleven. Um, four hundred and After his 430 days of this other prophecy, remember he's laying on his left side, laying on his right side, and it was just kind of a weird thing. And so anyways, after all that's over, then he gets another prophecy or another vision from God. He's, he's hanging out with the leaders of the people of the Jews that are in Babylon, and they're at his house, and he gets another vision. And then the vision, God's Spirit takes him to Jerusalem, so going on in the temple. And what happens in the temple is that he sees that, first of all, it's decorated with idols from other nations. So this temple that was designed by God and given to Solomon to build, that was supposed to teach Israel and all the other nations around him about who God is, everything connected with the temple, and you can study this up, has something to do with illustrating who God is. The beauty of this place, the magnificence of this place, and even all the way down to the candlesticks. They all have things about God that they were there in order to teach. Israel was a come-and-see type of religion. Christianity is a go-and-tell. But they were supposed to bring people in and teach them about God. The religious leaders and the, civil, the civic leaders, they were leading worship of these gods. They were no longer worshiping God. They were worshiping the gods of the nations around them. It would be like for us today to bring in the rainbow that's not associated with, which first was associated in Genesis, right? Um, bringing in the rainbow, bringing in um, you know environmentalism, bringing in uh, all the governmental and activist type stuff, and we sit here and talk about that rather than the cross, rather than Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. It's the same thing. We don't have, again, we talk about it. we don't have little gods that we worship. We have gods in our hearts. Things that the world tells us that we should think is important and we should run after. Israel, you know, they were looking at these little gods, but still, that god, false god, wrong god, not even a true god, that God said, hey, live life a certain way. And so they began to live life that way, which we'll talk about. The women, he saw, were crying to Tammuz, which Tammuz is a, the God of the harvest. So here's Israel in the middle of the siege looking for food. They're starving. We talked about this last week. They're not looking to God to provide. They're looking to Tammuz to provide. Which, by the way, he or she is not. Providing. But they're still worshiping. Trying to get this God to respond and give them the food that they need. They worshiped and lived like the people around them. He says that they were violent. They they were involved in prostitution. They were sacrificing their children. Israel. They misrepresented God. And it made it look like He approved. That's the big thing here. That's not the God that they worshiped. That's not the God that we worship. But it was what they were telling the other nations around, yeah, our God is like your God. No. And today, our God is not like the gods of this world and what the world tells us. So just like some Christians today choose to reject what God says and they chase after the gods of this world and they rationalize it and they give reasons why they should do that and they end up sacrificing their lives, they end up sacrificing the children's lives. And I don't mean necessarily sacrificing them, but... They, get, they, they show the kids by how they live life what's more important than God. You know, money is more important. We've got to work, 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 work. We don't take a break. We don't worship God on Sunday. We don't, you know, we have a gift called the Sabbath that we're, spo- we're, not, we're not commanded to take, but it's a gift for us to take. And, and so we chase money or we chase prestige. We chase the next promotion. And our kids are learning that. And when we can't understand that, and when we continue to live that way, our kids learn that. Whether we think they are or not, they are learning that, and we are sacrificing our kids to what the world says. Anyways, it wasn't even part of my notes. So, Ezekiel was commanded now to tell the elders what he saw, and um, or what he was... I lost my place in my house. So here's, after that, God says here, I want you to to show them what's going to happen in the middle of the siege or towards the end of the siege. And so here's what we have coming out, Ezekiel 12. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you live in the midst of the rebellious house, who have eyes to see but do not see, have ears to hear but do not hear. In other words, they're spiritually blind and deaf. they're choosing not to understand, for they are a rebellious house. So a person who is refusing to listen to what God has to say, and to see what God is saying, God's telling us today, that's a rebellious heart. That's somebody who has a hardened heart. Whether they call themselves a believer or not, It's still saying they have a hardened heart. Anyways, therefore, son of man, prepare for yourself baggage for exile, and go into exile by day in their sight, Even go into exile from your place to another place in their sight. It's always in their sight. He wants them to see what Ezekiel is doing. Perhaps, doubtful, they will understand, though, they are a rebellious house. Bring your baggage out by day in their sight as baggage for exile. Then you will go out at evening in their sight as those going into exile. Dig a hole through the wall in their sight and go through it. And so he to do all this, he was supposed to dig a hole in his wall and go through that in and out. We don't know how long this was for. but So load the baggage on your shoulder in their sight, getting the point, and carry it out in the dark. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the land, for I have set you as a sign to the house of Israel. So God was going to use Ezekiel and his entire life as a sign, as a, hey, wake up, Israel, Jewish people. This is what's happening to your people back in Judah, and that's why you're here in exile, and Ezekiel's the one whose life is showing this. Next, I did so as I had been commanded. By day, I brought out my baggage like the baggage of an exile. Then in the evening, I dug through the wall with my hands. And I went out in the dark, and I carried the baggage on my shoulder, in their sight. Again, we don't know how long, how many days he did this. In the morning, the, son of the, uh, the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem, which is King Zedekiah. He wasn't a real king. He was under the king of Babylon, so therefore prince. As well as the house of Israel, who are in it. Say, I, speaking of Ezekiel, am assigned to you. As I have done, so it will be done to them... They will go into exile, into captivity. The prince, who is among them, will load his baggage on his shoulder in the dark and go out. They will dig a hole through the wall to bring it out. He will cover his face so he can not see the land with his eyes. So he's going to escape through the hole. He's try to. I, speaking, again God speaking, will also spread my net over him and he will be caught in my snare. Now, God's saying, I'm going to use Babylon to accomplish this. But God's the one in control. He's in sovereign control, even of a a country that's not worshiping him. And I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans, yet he will not see it. We find out that King Nebuchadnezzar had him blinded. He killed his sons first and then blinded him. The last thing he saw was the death of his sons, though he will die there. He's going to end up dying in Babylon. I will scatter to every wind, all who are around him, his helpers and all of his troops, and I will draw out a sword after them. So he's going to have them killed, even though they, they've escaped, but he's going to catch them. So they will know that I am the Lord. Key phrase throughout Ezekiel. When I scatter them among the nations and spread them among the countries. But I will spare a few of them from the sword, the famine and the pestilence that are plague, that they may tell all their abominations among the nations, where they go, and may know that I am the Lord. Some of them are going to actually survive, but they're going to be spread around the world. And their responsibility is to let everybody know, I'm here because God put me here. (laughs) So they may know that he is the Lord. And so Ezekiel is supposed to act out what happened to Zedekiah during the siege. It gets bad. And so Zedekiah and his guys, they all dig a hole, and they're going to go through, they're going to try to escape at night. He eventually gets caught. As I said, his sons are killed. The last thing he sees, because then he's blinded, and he's taken back to Babylon. And then all of this that he is predicting, because it hasn't happened yet, all of this is going to happen, and it all does come true. All of it is done so that they may know that the Lord is God or that God is the Lord he says it in different ways and now what, what's the word Lord mean well it's the Hebrew word Yahweh it's it's the personal name that Israel is able to call God it means the self-existing one in other words he's always existed he is the one true God there are no other gods people may worship other things but they are not gods only God is God he is the infinite one so from Ezekiel 13 then through 24, Ezekiel tells these in exile that the that there's a certainty in this judgment. It is coming. You may think he even talks to me. You guys are thinking that this is not a true prophecy. We know in Jerusalem at the time there was false prophets telling King Zedekiah this is not going to happen. God's going to bless you. Jeremiah's over there going not true, not true. Which by the way, Jeremiah. He confirms all that Ezekiel said is going to happen. Jeremiah confirms it. And so, thirteen to twenty-four. There's a certainty of, of judgment. It talks about God's righteousness in judging Israel because they've sinned against Him. And and just as summary, look at the the sin that that's happening in Israel. He he gives us another summary. It um, has a little different, some different uh, details from before. First of all, as I was saying, they had prophets and prophetesses who, as God said, they are speaking from their own heart. It's their own words. They're saying it's from God. But it's their own words, it's their own thinking. We got we got people speaking for God today all the time who are speaking from their heart. It's not God's word. They're not teaching God's word. And the same thing was happening. They were using witchcraft in order to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. That's, that's satanic work. That's demons operating. They were involved in spiritual prostitution. He, he talks about Israel being this beautiful woman that was his wife. And then she decided to, to prostitute herself. So think about this. The next time you decide to sin or if you're stuck struggling with a certain sin over and over and over again, let this kind of sit in your head. When you do that, ask yourself, do I want to spiritually prostitute myself? Wouldn't that just kind of put a little cold rag over that situation? Because that's how God views it. We're the bride of Christ, followers of Christ, the church, the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And when we choose to do life our way, we are prostituting ourselves. Some of you go, oh, pastor, don't use it. Hey, God uses it. So it's okay for us to use it. And where else should we be talking about this kind of stuff You know, but in a church? They defiled the Sabbaths. So and what he means by that is they failed to worship God as he commanded because God said, listen, I want you to trust me six days of the week. And how you're going to show me that you trust me those six days of the week is that you're going to take the seventh day, and you're not going to do any work. Listen, they, they didn't work like we do today. They worked hard. <laughs> we think we have it hard. They had it worse. They really did, from my introduction. But if they didn't make food, that's what they did primarily. If they didn't cultivate the fields, this is how they could think. If I don't do this seven days a week, I'm not going to have food. No, God's saying, you do that for six days. Don't do it on the seventh day. You worship me. Take this day as an opportunity to worship me, to show your trust of me the other six days. If you do that, I'm going to provide for you. Do you trust me? Now, again, we're not commanded to take a Sabbath, but it's strongly suggested, if you want to put it that way, and it's considered a gift. It's a grace that God gives us to take that Sabbath. Well, they were failing to do that, and they were sacrificing their children to false gods. So at the end of chapter 24, right before Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to Jerusalem, God says to Ezekiel this next thing. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, am I am about to take from you the desire of your eyes with a blow. Yikes. Who could that be? But you shall not mourn, and you shall not weep. And your tears shall not come. Groan silently, but make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban, which he's supposed to actually put on sackcloth. But he's saying, no, no, put your turban on, dress up. And put your shoes on your feet, which normally if you're mourning somebody, you take your sandals off. And do not cover your mustache and do not eat the bread of men, which normally you would receive food in from those who are trying to comfort you and you'd eat their food. And he's saying, no. No. You don't, if, if people bring you food, don't even eat it. So I, sp- so I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening, my wife died. And in the morning, I did what I was commanded. In other words, I did not mourn her death publicly. The people said to me, <laughs> look what they ask." The people said to me, will you not tell us what these things that, uh, what these things that you are doing mean for us? Nobody's going up to him. oh, man, hey, I'm so sorry, Ezekiel, for, the, for your wife. Hey, how you do? They don't care. They want to know, what does it mean for us? Well, how does this, what happened to your wife, impact us? And I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, speak to the house of Israel. Thus said the Lord God, behold, I'm about to profane or defile and destroy my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the desire of your eyes, and the delight of your soul. And your sons and your daughters, whom you have left behind, will fall by the sword. Go ahead. You will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache. You will not eat the bread of men. Your turbans will be on your heads and your shoes on your feet. You will not mourn. You will not weep. But you will rot away in your iniquities. And you will groan to one another. Thus Ezekiel will be a sign to you. According to all that he has done, you will do. When it comes... Then you will know that I am the Lord God. As for you, son of man, will it not be on the day when I take from them their stronghold, the joy of their pride, the desire of their eyes and the heart's delight, their sons and their daughters, that on that day, he who escapes will come to you with information for your ears. So there's going to be someone who escapes and comes to, to Ezekiel saying, Hey, the destruction has happened. And that's going to happen, actually, six months later. Ezekiel 33 talks about that when it happens. On that day, the day the escapee shows up, your mouth will be open. Remember, he couldn't speak unless God told him to speak. So uh, your mouth will be open to him who escaped, and you will speak and be mute no longer. Thus you will be a sign to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. So, again, as I said earlier, for seven years he could not speak unless God told him to say something. Once the destruction's happened, God's wrath has been, um, you know, what do you want, uh, what's the word, I just lost the word, um, satisfied. That's a difficult word. Um, and so his, his wrath is satisfied, and now Ezekiel's responsibility has ended for prophesying judgment, which he has done for seven years, and now he's going to begin, as we'll find out next week, prophesying restoration, which is going to, again, happen for 22 years. Yeah, we got that. All right. So, again, these, the exiles don't care that Ezekiel's wife dies. They want to know what's what's in this for me, What what's happened, and what do we need to know about this. Now, it's stuff like this that makes Ezekiel a difficult book. We have to talk about the fact that God allowed Ezekiel's wife, who from what he says, sounds like he's got a great relationship with his wife, to die because he wants to teach Israel something. Now for all of us, we'd probably be sitting here going, that does not sound fair at all. <laughs> right? Again, it makes Ezekiel difficult to teach. And if I might say, if you're a new believer, Uh, or a person who's been a believer for a while, but you haven't really studied out Scripture, probably not the first book you want to start reading, okay? Because you're going to be going, why is he doing this? So, what Ezekiel's wife was to him, his point is, what Ezekiel's wife was to him, the temple is to God and to the Jews. So God called the temple, my sanctuary. He's calling it my sanctuary. It was a special place for God. It was the place where God, His presence, resided on Earth. Today, God's presence resides in us as believers. Each individual, we are the temple, as Paul called us. Back then, His presence resided in this building. It's where He met with His people. It's where He was taught about by the well, supposedly by the priests. That's where worship. Happens where he connected with his people. It was to teach the Jews and the Gentiles about who God was. The Jews were supposed to reach the Gentiles for God. Now, again, the Jews thought the Gentiles were dogs. That's why they called them Gentiles. That's what that means, wild dogs. And they wanted nothing to do with them, so they obviously were just so disobedient. But now that very temple, that where they were supposed to meet and learn about God, had been turned over to the gods of the nation's Around them. And God's saying, listen, though it's precious to me, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to tear it down. He says to you, Jews, it's the, the pride of the people's power. It's the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul. See, they were proud of that temple because they built the temple. It's a magnificent building that we built, isn't it? Now, Solomon had it built and the people worked on it. And so they were saying, it's our, it's our pride, it's magnificent. There's no bigger, better, more beautiful temple in all the nations. And they are very proud of that. Now, here's some strange theology, talking about strange stories, here's some strange theology. They still believed, this is weird. In fact, if you look through these, these different things, the desire of the eyes, um, the, the delight of your soul, the fact that they loved to sit and look at it, they, they longed to be back and seeing it, and being a part of it. Though they've rejected God, they had this strange theology that said, as long as the temple exists, that means we're going to get to go back into the land. is that weird? I mean, did they not read the Old Testament that they had? Did they not hear what God said? Did not read what Moses had written down about this contract? Their trust and security wasn't in God. It was in the temple. It was in a building. In the, well, certainly we'll go back into, as long as the temple's built. You don't even worship God. Why are you thinking the temple is going to bring you back? So sadly, the, the temple became what the people worship, not God. And so God was going to take down that temple. He was going to destroy it. He was going to destroy the city. And sadly, a bunch of the people and so the temple of Jerusalem, the people would be destroyed. And as Ezekiel was not able to mourn the death of his wife, these people were not able to mourn the destruction of the temple, the scene that was so precious to them. And there's three reasons why that they weren't able to do that or supposed to do that. First of all, it was too late to mourn. They should have been mourning their sin earlier. They should have repented and gone back to God earlier, but they chose not to. And so God's saying, listen, it's no use mourning now. You should have done that before. Secondly, kind of interesting, the law did not allow for the Jewish people to mourn somebody who was justly executed. So if somebody had committed a sin, broken a law, that would cause them to have to have their life forfeited, executed, you couldn't mourn that person. And God's like, every one of these people who are dying, it's just. They have broken my laws. They have sinned against me. And so you can't mourn them. And the third one is is because the Jews in Judah were going to be marched right away to Babylon. There was no time to mourn. They had to have their traveling shoes on. They had to be dressed for the trip. And there wasn't going to be any, any food given to them. And so it has this idea that you guys they're going to be marched to Babylon quickly. And then he, he confirms this. He ends this section with his confirmation that the destruction happens. Um, so, again, six months later, Ezekiel 33, the escapee shows up. Hey, this has happened. The, the destruction has happened suddenly. Now Ezekiel can speak of his own. He doesn't have to speak just when God tells him to. His ministry shifts. Like I said, we'll talk about that next week as it is this restoration. We're going to talk about the dry bones. Everybody loves to know about the dry bones. We sing about the dry bones, and most people don't even know what we're talking about when we're singing about it. We're going to talk about that next week. So what can we take away from these two events? Seventy times in the book of Ezekiel, the reference is made. God says this statement, changes it up a little bit here and there, but basically this. I am doing these things so that they may know that I am the Lord. Seventy times he says this. So I think he's trying to get a point across to Israel, and I think it's also the point that we need to understand today. And so the first one is this. God is God. You are not I think that's how we should read that. As I'm reading Ezekiel, as you're reading Ezekiel, we should be hearing in our heads, you know what? God is God. I'm not God. If you were to read my journal, which you won't, but if you were, you would see that often, during the week, as I'm writing out my prayer to God, first thing in the morning with my cup of coffee, and now I eat a banana with that. Just because I wanted to keep you guys updated on what I have when I'm in my (laughs) journal. I'll, I'll, you know, heavenly and holy father come before you to worship you and to remind myself that you are God and I am not. And then I go on. I'll say that to God because I have to hear that. I have to know that because you know what's going to happen? As soon as I'm done, I close my Bible, I get up, I get over here to church. What happens? Harold's God again. <laughs> it takes me about two or three minutes and pretty soon I'm battling this. We were created for God's glory and purposes. Not your glory and purposes, not my glory and purposes. This life's not about me. It's not about me showing everybody how cool and how good I am. It's about God and who God is. Listen, this is a huge point. Because that phrase right there, God's glory and purposes, that is like true Christian ease. Christians say this all the time. Christians give, Christians give this answer all the time. But if we would wake up every morning and we would review our day, we get done at the end of the day and we look back at our day and we ask ourselves, Did I do everything for God's glory and God's purposes? We would find that we are wanting in that. We are not doing that. We like to say it, but we're not living it. Look what Isaiah says in the Old Testament. Everyone who is called by my name, this is God speaking, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, for even whom I have made. God has made us. You can argue whether that's talking to Israel or Gentiles or both, or you believers or not believers, whatever. But if you're a believer here this morning, he's talking to you. And He's created you and brought you into a relationship with Him for His glory. We've got to nail this, you guys. Because most of the frustration in our lives come because we keep trying to make it about us. It's not. Nothing about us is about us. It's all about God. From the very moment we get up, Our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with our jobs that He gives us, our homes that He gives us, the cars that we have, the the yard that we mow, the plants that we take care of, the co-workers that we sit next to. I mean, whatever it is you deal with, for God's glory. What does glory mean? For God to reveal Himself, for you and me to represent Him as Israel was supposed to do. Look what Paul says. You, talking to the person who questions what, I'm, what God said, and I'm re- relating it to you, will say to me, uh, you will say to me then, why does he, speaking of God, still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God, the thing molded, talking about you and me, will not say to the molder, God, why did you make me like this, will it? oh my word, we ask that question all the time. Then there's people in the world, there's some low-hanging fruit here. I could just start bashing the world if I wanted to, but I'm not going to, because how many people in this world are saying, "Uh uh-oh, I was born wrong. But listen, Christians, we do it all the time. We wonder, yeah, I think God made a mistake with who I am. He doesn't make mistakes. Or does not the potter have a right over the clay? Yes, he does to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use god can make a nice dinner plate or he can make a chamber pot my brother said i'm actually a gallbladder and nobody wants to see me he said what if god although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction The very people who reject God, who then end up in hell because they rejected his offer of salvation, they give glory to God. Because again, what is glory? Glory is God revealing himself. What do we find out about God? That God's a just God. That he's a God who punishes sin. He punishes criminal activity. We love judges who punish criminal activity, right? Not that we have too many anymore. Well, that's the kind of judge we want, except when it comes to us. All right. And he did did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. We who received his gift, when we look at that, we should be even more dedicated to him because of the mercy he's shown us, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Even those who reject God reveal his glory. And because of that, we who have received his mercy, who have received it for his glory, should be even more committed to his glory. So going along with that, then the second thing is this. God is working his eternal plan through you and me. So salvation, eternity, that's, that's the goal here. He is bringing salvation and eternity with him in the new heaven and new earth. That's his goal. That's his plan. That's what he's been working all the way back in the Old Testament. This is what he's been working for, bringing Jesus Christ to the, to the world, us putting our faith in Jesus Christ, having our sins forgiven, a relationship with God His the Holy Spirit in us, and we get to go to heaven one day. God used Israel to do that. God uses you and me to bring that same message today. Israel brought Jesus. Believers bring the message of Jesus. That's our responsibility. That's why you get up in the morning. That's why we're bringing glory to God. And so who in your life are you looking to to influence for Christ? See, listen, if if you're a believer here this morning, and you don't know that God saved you for His glory, for you to represent Him to others and draw others to Him for salvation, then you have missed the point of you being saved. That's why He saved you. For His glory. Everything in your life is about Him. And like I said, if we would just get that People who are discouraged and people who are depressed and people who are frustrated with the things that are going through and when they lose jobs or, or when things happen in their homes or when health issues come along, the things that cause us to go, oh, my world is falling apart. No, your world is not falling apart. God's got your world, it's, He's using it for His glory and for you to represent Christ. We've got to get that in our heads. Because you know what's going to happen? This week I can get a phone call or a text or an email or somebody just stop in. Harold, you wouldn't believe what's happened. My whole life is falling apart. And I'll be like, Oh my word, did you just not listen? On Sunday. God's got your world. And then the last one is this God disciplines those He loves. God disciplines those he loves. God allows difficulties into our lives because he loves us. Don't believe the lie that the world tells you that discipline of any kind is bad. Don't discipline your children and make, make them feel bad. Don't discipline school students and say, hey, your grade didn't match, you didn't meet the requirements because you don't want you to feel bad. Discipline is good. Discipline is needed. Discipline is what the Holy Spirit puts in us when we feel badly about something it's not us feeling badly it's us feeling guilt which is good for the sin that we're committing why to draw us back to god god's 100 percent committed to making you like jesus if you're not more like jesus tomorrow than you are today then you're not moving in the right direction if a year from now you're more, not more like Jesus than you are today, you're not moving in the right direction. Being like Jesus is the best for you. God says so. And God knows everything perfectly. He'll use whatever it takes to make that happen. Now, I've got to do one thing. Band, why don't you guys come on up? I told him, today we're going to actually have a closing song. We're going to be a little late, but that's fine. He'll use whatever it takes to make that happen. Because he loves you. Ezekiel's wife died. It was good. Because it it was used for what God wanted it used for. She went to heaven. God will use whatever it takes. God's Holy Spirit and His Bible have been given to you for that purpose. To know and understand what it is in your life that you need to do next and allow God to do in you next to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and stand. I think you guys are ready. You want me to pray? I'm going to pray. Give them time as well transitional prayer heavenly father i want to thank you for this morning thank you for the opportunity we have to to look into your word lord as we close out this morning i pray that our hearts and our minds will continue to be focused on you to seek from you and ask of you to if, help us to evaluate where we need to get things in line with you Our i praise in christ's name amen